Welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. This is a bit of a milestone number, episode 444. 444 episodes of this podcast. Great. Last week, we welcomed Tyler Adams from the United States men's national team in soccer. He's also from AFC Bournemouth and was a really great podcast. But that was booked weeks in advance. Two weeks ago, I was at MetLife Stadium the home of the New York Jets and New York Giants, to see the NHL Stadium Series. The one I went to featured the New Jersey Devils, my team, against the Philadelphia Flyers. If you are a frequent listener of this podcast, you know why I'm a Devils fan, but that's not the focus of this episode. Well, part of it is. It was my third outdoor game. The first one was in January 2012, the Winter Classic, when I saw the Philadelphia Flyers host the New York Rangers at Citizens Bank Park. Then in 2014, I saw the New Jersey Devils play the New York Rangers at Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. This one was different. I wasn't covering this game. I went as a fan with my family. And I have to say, it was a wonderful, yet cold, experience. Between that game, between the New Jersey Devils and the Philadelphia Flyers, and the other game that took place the next day between the New York Rangers and the New York Islanders, there were over 150,000 people at MetLife Stadium to watch hockey. And I think this is a jewel event for the league. The Winter Classic on New Year's Day, and then a stadium series game somewhere. When I saw the announcement that the Devils were going to play the Flyers, a couple of emotions rang true. Number one, as a Devils fan, I hate the Flyers. I can't stand the Flyers. But... I do love the city of Philadelphia, and part of my career, I covered the Philadelphia Phillies and did a pre- and post-game show for them, and I worked for WIP, the iconic Philadelphia radio station. My boss was the assistant program director at the time, Jason Mertides. Jason's not at WIP anymore. As a matter of fact, now he is the pre- and post-game host for the Philadelphia Flyers on The Fanatic, which is the other radio station in town. He's been with the Flyers for over a decade, and he is remarkable. So the idea was, if the Flyers won, I had to have Jason on. But since the Devils won that game, even though the Flyers are ahead of them in the standings, I wanted to have Jason on. In this podcast, I want to ask him all about the stadium series from his perspective, because the Flyers lead the NHL, or are tied for the lead in the NHL, with five outdoor games. Since we're doing a hockey-centric podcast, we will check the latest odds on the Stanley Cup and the Hart Trophy, MVP of the series, with the head odds maker at BovadaSportsbook.com, Patrick Morrow. Jason, first of all, considering you were my boss, how polite do I have to be now that you work for one of my hated rivals? Um, well, as polite as you were when I was your boss, which wasn't at all. <laughs> I demand to be treated like everybody else, even if I'm the boss. <laughs> That's a great answer. Yeah. I purposely, folks, did not not tell him I was going to ask that first because I wanted to hear his answer. He is as witty as we said. All right. Um, I wanted to do this last week. We had the amazing Tyler Adams, captain of the U.S. Uh, men's soccer team. Uh, so the stadium series. This was my third. I think the first one I saw with you 
in 2011 when the uh, Rangers played the Flyers at Citizens Bank Park and the late Roy Halladay threw out the first pitch. I remember that. 2012. Um, Yep, 2012. 2012, very good. Uh, I had just done the season with you uh, working Mm -hmm. with the Phillies. And so I went. And to see the way the game, the, the stadium has evolved, the presentation, the the aesthetics, everything looked more modern. Uh, the only other game, like I said, in the open, I'd been to the Devils Rangers at Yankee Stadium. And I, I just remember there were no good seats. I, I don't think this thing should be at a, a baseball stadium. Totally agree. What was your take of the pomp and circumstance at MetLife Stadium two weeks ago? It was my sixth game as a broadcaster. Um, like the first one was great because it was the first one the Flyers ran. They started in 08 in Buffalo, obviously, um, and had that snowy game between the Sabres and the Penguins, Penguins if you recall. Yep. Yeah. And they played some World Junior games there. Uh, by 2010, they were getting better at it, but it was at Fenway Park. And I agree with you. I don't think it's great in baseball stadiums, even a little bandbox like Fenway Park. It was awesome with the Green Monster there and all that. And it was really cool from a historical perspective. I remember it was freezing in Boston in 2010. I remember being in the visiting dugout, and there's a bathroom at the end of the dugout. And when mm-hmm. I say a bathroom, I'm using, being very kind. Yeah. It was more like a hole in the ground yeah, that yeah. was used as a bathroom. And I remember standing there like I'm packed in there in all my warm clothes, and I'm leaning against the wall going to the bathroom why I had a quick timeout. And I remember thinking to myself, man, think about all the guys that peed in here, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> le- like all these legends, you know, yeah. like, uh, you know, you think about a, a guy like, you know, th- the historical figures of the game, you go, sure. I- he peed in here. He peed over there too. He was a member of the Red Sox as well. You of know, course, of course. But, so oh, I I've been to every nook and cranny in Fenway park. I, yeah, I, and I, I know, I know yeah. the place very well. It makes me feel tall because, like, you walk down the the tunnel to the clubhouse, and I can yep. touch the ceiling. Yep. But so that was really cool. But again, I know a lot of people that went to that game were, I want to be as close as possible. And then they realized the further you are down, you can't see through the boards. Right. You only see heads moving around. Right. So you want to be up a little bit. Um, then I did 2012. I did the alumni game there and the Flyers Ranger game, which was cool. And Pittsburgh in 2016 uh, at Heinz Field was miserable. The day before it was 65 degrees. The game, it was the coldest I've ever been. And there was just a lot of technological issues. And then 2018 it's at Lincoln Financial Field for the Penguins again. It, it rained in that one. And in the end of the game, the ice was horrible. Then Tahoe was the sun glare. There was no fans. And then obviously the stadium series at MetLife. And, um, you know, I had wondered, Seth, like, has this whole outdoor game kind of, you know, has it jumped the shark, right? Is It's kind of, it's not great hockey, whatever. But the one at MetLife was fantastic. And they right. and you're dead right. They've perfected how to do it. Dan Craig, the original ice guy that brought the game outside, has since retired. And Steve Mayer handles all of the, uh, you know, big events for the NHL. And they've done an amazing job and how good the ice was. And the stadium was like, it's like, it was like a huge arena without a roof because it didn't have sections missing. And as I'm standing there watching the anthem before the game and all the lights go out and then the, the fireworks go off and I look from from ground to ceiling, the mm-hmm. place was jammed. 
and the people were having a blast. It may not be a great event for TV. I don't know. I've never seen one on TV. I always, I'm always there when the Flyers are involved, but damn, is it a good live event? And I, I was invigorated by it. And even though the game didn't go the way, you know, the team that I work for wanted it to, I thought it was a fantastic event. I really did. I thought it was well done, organized and, uh, top-notch across the board. Well, you mentioned Steve, and I, I think that there's something to be said for the attention to detail. Every um, detail. <laughs> every You're detail. Right. Yeah. Um, the two things that stood out the most to me, and I remember talking to friends. Well, first of all, <laughs> it was so cold that I didn't go see any friends that were in other sections, because if you were not in my section, I had no interest in walking outside to see. Yeah. Um. The first one was uh, the band, uh, the the the, uh, the band Jonas that did Brothers. the gold song. No, 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 no. Oh, Jonas Brothers were, were fine. That that was nice. What I talking about? The, the, they're called a gaslight orchestra. Gaslight anthem. Anthem. Thank you, anthem. Yep. And there was a whole controversy with the Devils. They had Rock and Roll Part Two, Gary Glitter, and they had to get rid of that song for many reasons. And they had contests. I remember they took Jose Reyes's song for a while, and that was stupid. And you know, it, it, it's it's all of these songs. And then they found this band that had this song, and to hire them to not only play in the first intermission, but to be on standby for any time the devil scored to play that song live. Yeah. That is such fan service. That is, that is putting Spider-Man in a Marvel movie like that. That's, that's the epitome of telling your fan base, Hey, we're, we, we hear you and we want you to have the ultimate experience. You're right about TV. That doesn't play on TV. Cause no one knows that that's live. Can't feel it. Yeah. You can't I, feel it. As I much. thought that was genius. The other one. By the way, do you know how hard it is to play the guitar on demand when you're freezing cold and you can't have no dexterity oh in your hands? Oh, God. Your fingers feel like they're going to break. Impossible. I don't know how those guys stayed warm. And then when the Devils would score, drop the gloves off and just start playing. And start Sound playing. guy ready to go. You know? I couldn't yeah. believe that, that, that. I was fascinated with that band. That, that, I, I, don't, I never knew they existed until that week, but I was fascinated. The other one was something that was so subtle. But for fans, it is the ultimate fan service. They kept saying pregame, this is the devil's first game in the Meadowlands since 2007. They played across the parking lot for 25 years. Yeah. And I, I, I look, the spectrum is your holy grail, right? Like, I know yeah. what the spectrum means to you. Brendan the Meadowlands Byrne Arena was our, yeah. was our place. That was, yeah. I, saw, I saw the championships there. Yep. You know, I saw... I saw one cup live. I, I I saw the other, you know, the first one on television because I was in college. Just the idea that this was not just the Met Life game. This was they were returning to the Meadowlands. Yeah, that warmed my heart. And I, to me, if you're going to have that kind of an event that you're already making a, millions of dollars on, that's fan service that I thought was so appropriate. Well, here's the thing. The outdoor game is is what a throwback to the roots of playing outdoors as a kid. It's nostalgia at its finest on a grand stage that you can pull off in the post 2000 millennium. Right. And 
a lot of people are there with a lot of nostalgia on the brain. Fathers with their sons, with their grandkids, you know, all of that. And you celebrate all of it. It's why you get the dignitaries out there. And you saw Marty Brodeur. He's at every yep. game. But but still, that's important. He is yep. the, the the face fabric. at the top of the, the mountain. Fabric. Yeah. I mean, he's the guy. And if you're going to do it, damn it. Former, right. former Sports with Friends guest. I will get the episode uh, number while you t- continue to talk. Yeah. I mean, I love Marty. And you can see his mask in in the yeah. background there of my wall of great mass, I got a Marty Brodeur. I mean, he was the he was he was the rival, but I love great goaltending. He was great. So, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna play on the nostalgia card, then then jump all the way in. And they did. And the jerseys, I thought, from a broadcast perspective, for the broadcasters upstairs, not great. Can't see the numbers well. Can't see the names, and it's tough. And they're pretty far away. But I thought the jerseys on both of and. And that game hit it out of the park. Um, I liked all the jerseys except for the Islanders, to be honest with you. I didn't like the Rangers. I, I liked. The, I, I loved the, the Rangers. Rangers looked weak too. I, I Did don't you? Know. I, yeah. When I, when I saw them coming out for practice on Friday, uh, as the Flyers got off for practice and seeing them up close, I was like, man, they look sharp. Okay. <laughs> they just popped, you know. Um, and I thought the the Islander ones looked hideous. You know, it's funny when I saw the pictures of the Seattle Kraken going to the other outdoor game this year. The the Kraken on television looked brutal and in person looked great. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it does that. Right. Right. And it, I, so I thought it was, it was really just a well done event. That was just, it, I thought they hit it on every, on every element. And I hope it was as good as it could be on TV. The hockey's not great. Sometimes, you know, it, it's really tough for goaltenders. I know, I know, but does that matter? Um, it, to some people, it does not matter to me. I will sacrifice one game that does have a two point shitty game. ice. Like, give me yeah, shitty I mean, the ice. The ice was not shitty though. I, the ice was good. The, the ice at 2018 was shit because it rained. And okay. one Brodeur, of the people- Brodeur hated. Like Brodeur said on on it's episode 203 by the way. Uh, Martin Brodeur and I uh, did a podcast where he said um, that the Devils' uh, second biggest rival is the Philadelphia Flyers, not the New York Islanders. I want that noted. Um, he said that the glare in the daytime, its it, you can't see. Yeah, that's and, why they delayed the Flyers' practice Friday, too. And plus, you don't want the sun beating on the ice because it creates a softness to it. Right. But, I mean, that game was at night. That ice was pristine. Um, the game in Tahoe? Goalies couldn't stop a beach ball from the blue lines. They couldn't right. see anything. You're right. at the one end, like where Carter Hart was in that game. <laughs> he couldn't yeah. see anything. He gave up. I think he gave up eight in the game. And that. And look for a goaltender for the players. You can put. You can make it normal really quick because you're moving all over the surface, and you can dial in your spatial awareness to the 200 by 85. For a goaltender, pucks down the other end. Your brain is. Your brain is supposed to drift, and your brain is supposed to disengage. Because you're on the ice the entire game, and you can't stay mentally in the 200 by 85 the entire time. And you're standing there, and pucks at the other end. You go, oh, shit, look at that. A plane just went by. <laughs> I played in 2012 at Citizens Bank Park in a media game. And I remember standing there like, I'm a, that's right, I'm outside. I mean, I'm in the Philly Stadium, and there's planes landing at that's crazy. Yeah, International. It's crazy. It's, so it is bizarre. And the spatial awareness for the goaltender is very difficult to adjust to. More of my conversation with Jason Martinez in just a moment. We're talking hockey, so we might as well get some odds on hockey with the head odds maker at Bovada, my friend Patrick Morrow. 
as teams are fighting for playoff spots. Who are the favorites to win in the playoffs and ultimately the Stanley Cup? There are some really, really good teams. Who's the favorite? So, Seth, as you might expect with uh, the NHL this time of year, a lot of time left in the regular season, but just the nature of the three points that are available, at least in every single game, uh, we find the Futures board uh, very, very muddy. Uh, the ever so slight but still technical favorites right now are the Edmonton Oilers. They are sitting right there at plus 725, and they are uh, a massive liability for us. Um, looking at uh, the other teams rounding it out, uh, you know, you have the Panthers right there, plus 750. I think one of the more interesting teams, of course, is the surprising Vancouver Canucks, who have seen their odds dip all the way down to 9-1 to one when looking at their preseason odds, preseason expectation. Uh, nobody really thought this team that was, you know, pretty recently a lottery team would be performing as well as they have this season. Um, I will give the update that uh, your New Jersey Devils are sadly sitting at 30 to 1 right now. The Toronto Maple Leafs, who I think have looked pretty crappy all year but still have all that firepower, they are currently sitting 14 to 1 right now at Bavada. All right, let's have a little fun. Who are the bad teams in hockey? Who are the teams that are the favorites to finish dead last? Yeah, so Seth, this is uh, really a long overdue extension of you know, our Stanley Cup uh, futures odds that we have every year. You know, we thought, okay, if we can reasonably project uh, who's going to win it all, why can't we just simply go in the other direction and project who will be the worst team in the NHL this year? So I don't know why we hadn't done years past, but these odds are now available and on the board and probably not a huge surprise. This is largely a two horse race right now, given their position in the standings. The Chicago Blackhawks are currently the odds on favorite for worst record in the NHL this season. They are currently sitting at minus 230, which roughly suggests that they are about 69-70% to be that worst team. Um, they are being challenged by the San Jose Sharks, who have had nothing to write home about this year either. They are currently sitting at plus 170. Rounding out the board is uh, Anaheim Ducks at 28-1, to and the Columbus Blue Jackets are currently 100-1 to if you think they'll finish the season with the worst record at Bavada. And then, of course, there's all these awards going on in the NHL, but the Hart Trophy is one of the closest races we've seen. There are four real standouts, and they're all so, such good players. Yeah, this this is the kind of stuff that, uh, Seth, whether it's you know NHL awards, Major League Baseball awards, but anything around in MVP and how you define that is brutally, brutally tough to, to navigate. It's not who necessarily is the best player in the league, although depending on who's voting on this stuff, that can be how it's interpreted. Um, you know, most valuable player can also be seen as, you know, the most meaningful to a playoff team. And if you are a playoff team, are you better awarded if you're the one seed? It's it's all very confusing. I hate getting into the narratives. Rocket Richard, all that stuff, a lot easier on my end. Art Ross, of course. But there are clearly four competitors, four players that are leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the field. That is Austin Matthews, our current two to one favorite. Nathan McKinnon and Nikita Kucherov, both at uh, plus 225 right now. A lot has to be said with what Tampa Bay has been able to do this year, especially with early season injuries, uh, with some suggesting they wouldn't even be a playoff team this year because of their goaltending issues to start the year. And then, of course, rounding out the top is Connor McDavid at plus 325. Every other player in the league, Seth, is 40 to 1 or higher at Bavada. That is Patrick Morrow. Now back to our conversation about the Philadelphia Flyers. I Am I really talking about the Philadelphia Flyers? I'm a Devils fan. How can I do this? Well, when Jason Martinez is the guy, it's totally worth it.
going into MetLife, you kind of said, well, maybe this is getting done. Do you think that the NHL needs to balance teams more and care less about TV in, in, in this argument? If it's the Bruins again and the Rangers again and the Flyers again, and it's if it's the same six teams, do you turn off your your your, your overall fans? What I loved about Vegas and the Kraken was it was Vegas and the Kraken. Yeah. You know, and I used to cover the Mariners, so Safeco Field, you know, or whatever they call that place now, T-Mobile Park, that that's a an important ballpark to me to see that game. I, I was tempted to go see it in person. Yeah. My point being, keep spreading it out. There was a freshness to Flyers Devils. And I understood why the Flyers were there because if you have the opportunity to drive 80 minutes to you know, for the Flyer fan, the Flyers were very well represented in that game. Yeah. I thought it was 70, easy 30. to get there. Yeah. I was I thought it was easier to get there than Long Island. Oh, no doubt. Yep. I I this is gonna sound harsh, but there's some markets that it doesn't matter if you keep it fresh. They're not gonna draw eyeballs because they're not the for lack of a better term, the really important markets. People if there's an ambivalence about a team, they don't do tv ratings you have to have teams that there's no ambivalence about like the flyers no, there's i get that but yeah no but ambivalence the bruins should not do it again for a decade yeah but the nhl knows that the bruins bring in eyeballs okay you know you know what i mean so, it's like there, there's and obviously the new york market does that um the northeast markets do as a matter of fact you know you look at boston you sure. look at philly you look at the whole greater new york area and then Pittsburgh's been in a bunch and and you want to also the marquee players, you know, you, I mean, like Chicago, I think is going to be in next year's. And that's just, that's simply because of Bedard that that's the only reason it's Bedard. They're trying to sell the superstars. I I think Arizona did one a couple of years ago with LA some, and nobody cared because who are you going to watch? I mean, like there's some nice players, like Clayton Keller is a nice player, but. No, no, but I, I think the NHL is going to do that next year's stadium series is Columbus versus Detroit in yeah. Columbus, and you might get 100,000 people at that game. Because, are Great. they playing at Ohio State? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and the, the one in Carolina I thought was great. That was yep. gorgeous, mm-hmm. even though I can't stand them. If they're going to put the Flyers in another one, they got to do the dream scenario, which is Flyers, Penguins at Penn State, at Beaver Stadium, and 110,000 people. Because Penn State is smack in the middle of the state of Pennsylvania, halfway to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh halfway to Philly. Like, it would be like two armies coming together and colliding at Beaver Stadium. I know Peter Luco, who was with the Flyers for many years, that would be very cried cool. like hell. Yeah. And Penn State just wouldn't capitulate and do the things it needed to do. And, and that's their loss because it would have been a, a football weekend times two for them, which is revenue for every business and everything else on new year's day when the college isn't even in session mm-hmm. you know so um i think you do got to find new ways I-, I love the outdoor stadium like notre dame uh the horseshoe will be awesome at ohio state it, we had the game at the big house mm-hmm. like i mean that's cool that yeah it's very that cool gives me some that's the thing there's there's enough places that that's that's what i'm saying that that's the only thing i'm pushing back on is i just think there's enough difference and enough originality that if they continue to to put it together like that, I think this thing can continue to thrive. Yeah, I, it I, I give Bettman credit. I give the NHL credit. They tried this thing and it worked. 
and then they kept trying things and not everything was perfect. I thought the Lake Tahoe thing is messy as that was. It was gorgeous on TV and it was during COVID. Yeah. What were they supposed to do? They could yeah, have they done no nothing. Choice. If you're going to do no fans, nothing. that's the time to do it. That's right. <laughs> you know, right. you you, uh, do, you tried something. Okay. Yeah. A funny story. I want mystery. To Alaska should be one. We should do that. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> That'd be cool. Um, uh, funny story I wanted to tell you, last playoffs, uh, I want to say it was New Jersey versus Carolina. I'm in the press room, and I see Kenny Albert. And Kenny Albert, who's one of the busiest human beings on the face of the earth, um, he was Not on to Sports mention with... one of the best dudes in the world. Oh, no, he's one of the greatest. <laughs> Such a good he, guy. He was on Sports with Friends. We did a month, I think it was April 2020, of the busiest people in sports. We had Ian Eagle and Kenny Albert back-to-back. Yeah. Two people who would never be able to do the podcast because they're never staying in one place. Yeah. So Kenny Albert said he had listened to episode 400 of this podcast, which was Eli Manning. And he goes, he just casually said, oh, I was on the plane. I was coming from Denver. I, I heard Eli Manning and Keith Jones was standing next to him. And he goes, what podcast is this? And I said, oh, it's called Sports with Friends. He goes, how come I haven't been on yet? And I said, great. I said, Hey, when this season, when you're done with the playoffs, you'll come on. And then I think it was 48 hours later, he gets named the president of the Philadelphia Flyers. <laughs> so now I'm going to wait till the off season and we're going to, it's going to be different. I got to go through the team and it's, it's just different now. Whereas yeah, when he was Keith Jones, former avalanche winger, you know, a great morning show host who I used to go on with him and Angelo all the time. Uh, that Keith Jones, what has his impact been on the franchise? It's been massive. It's been massive because, you know, I didn't ex- I didn't see that one coming either. And when it got real close to getting announced, somebody said to me, I think I think the Jonesy's got a real chance to get that. I go, what are you talking about? And I, and I just have Angelo in my head when I think I hear Jonesy. I'm, I'm Jonesy Angelo going, yeah. Keith Jones, president of hockey. Opera. Never, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> he's an idiot, you know, oh, yeah. so. Like that's going through my head, and then he gets named, obviously. And, um, you know, the thing is, the Angelo Flyers Cataldi, were... by the way, sorry to cut you off. Yeah. Uh, uh, Angelo Cataldi, uh, guest uh, episode number 411. If you're holy cow, man, if you drop any more names out of your pocket, you're gonna fall over. Well, if you're bringing them up, you bring up the people <laughs> if they've been on. I got to tell people when that's yeah. how the podcast continues to grow. That's cross promotion. Um, but so, so Jonesy gets hired, and you know, the Flyers lost their um, their compass their moral compass and I, I truly i've always believed seth and i think you do too is that uh, a sports a professional sports franchise is an is a trust with the city the you know the culture everything it's it's a very important and very personal thing for fans and there was a period of time where the trust was broken people came in that weren't from here and thought they could do it a different way and it didn't work. And it, it, it had the opposite effect. It pushed people away. And it needed to regain its moral compass. And Jonesy was the perfect guy for that. Um, from that standpoint of honoring the past, honoring the fans' engagement and what they mean to the team's past, but not trying to live, relive it. And that's that's delicate balance. Um, and then the other part of it is, like, like, you know, Jones, he, he comes off, you know, fart jokes and witty and all that. But he is he's a guy that hides his IQ extremely well or hid his IQ extremely well. 
massively smart guy, great hockey guy. When he would travel as the Flyers broadcaster from city to city, the general manager of the other team was always seeking him out to to get a doubt. Like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this guy? What do you think about my guys? What do you, what do you see? And what, what's the new, you know, all that stuff. They would always seek him out a, because he's just like a super likable guy and super knowledgeable. And he had a great way of explaining the game, not to mention the element that he can articulate to the fan base from a trusted voice and, you know, explain his position really well because he's been in broadcasting for 25 years. So it's just been an absolute home run um, with him in that position. Look, ultimately in sports, you know, this, the measuring stick is, do you, are you winning? Are you losing? Of course. Where you, so eventually it'll become that for him. And I, it, you know, his likability and everything that I just mentioned gives him a little bit of rope to deal with after a, a bunch of, really tough years where the fan base turned on the franchise because the franchise frankly turned on them. So he's got his work cut out for him. Uh, but you know, that that's the one thing I think people didn't realize was just how intelligent of a guy he was and the way he is thought of in hockey circles. And that that's why it's been a great move. He's very transparent, um, calculated, smart, and uh, very likable. Yeah. Uh, just one of the nicest people. I remember when the avalanche, I, I was 23 but uh, when I was doing uh, pre and post for the Avalanche, when they acquired Keith Jones, and I just thought, wow, what what a nice guy. Like, what a guy you'd want to hang out with. Yeah. That's, Salt that's of the cool. earth. And, and then when I started working with you guys at WIP, I remember being in studio with Keith Jones, and I was like, oh, my God, it's the same guy. Yeah. Like, nothing <laughs> changed. Nothing. He, I mean, I was years. at WIP when he started coming there, and he worked for almost two years for didn't for no money oh, wow. to, to just learn and cut his teeth and then look oh, at, look at the him. career he created in broadcasting for 25 Daryl years. Hamilton did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just shows you like this guy doesn't want everything handed to him. Like so many athletes do. He's willing to work for it. And he did. Uh, I do have a, a touchy question uh, for you. Um, it's an awkward one because so little has been talked about it. Um, you obviously know about the 2018, uh, hockey junior Canada scandal, uh, that has led to five arrests, um, the world junior team, um, and four of the five players that have been implicated in this investigation are in the NHL and one of them happens to be uh, a Flyers goalie, Carter Hart, as well as two members of the New Jersey Devils, my team, uh, Mike McLeod and Cal, uh, Cal Foote. The reason I'm bringing this up to you, I'm not asking you to comment on sexual assaults. That's not what this podcast is about. I'm amazed, at least from the New Jersey side, how little is being discussed. And here's where I'm going to put some context in it. To pretend that they didn't exist is weird. Whether it's a coach, a president, whether it's a general manager, an owner, I, I don't know who, and I'm not sure I know what to say. But to not ignore the elephant in the room, I think is a mistake. And I think, acknowledge it, do not condone the action. You can rip them if you want. I Say something. It is so awkward. And what made me want to bring this up to you was I saw a bunch of Carter Hart jerseys at MetLife Stadium. Yeah, it was a popular jersey. 
look, I think the NHL teams to, to varying degrees, because every team's got different leadership and handles how they, you know, message to their fans differently. Um, so it would be varying based on that. But I think the NHL has put a muzzle on um, because they don't want varying messages. Number one, it's why you saw all those kind of press releases read the same way. So-and-so is asked for a leave of absence. We have granted it. Um, and I think there's a lot of things in play. So this, this has obviously been going on a long time and you're kind of, you're, we're waiting for this report to come out for so long. I thought it was going to come out two years ago, then this off season and it didn't come out. And there was a cloud around every guy that was on that 2018 roster. Like they couldn't be traded. Yeah. They couldn't participate in the world hockey championships when their season was over. They couldn't play internationally. So it just led to all this wild speculation. And then obviously we get the arrest warrants that come down and the five players um, that, you know, the, the London police department decided um, to arrest and, and charge. Um, so I, I think there's a couple complicating factors. I think, I think it, things would have come out sooner, but like the NHL couldn't suspend guys that for actions that took place when maybe they weren't NHL guys, they hadn't signed a contract yet. Um, were some of the guys under 19 in Canada, that's the age of adult, uh, you know, and are you going to punish a guy before he has his day in court? You know, so there's all these weird elements sure. and the NHLPA is involved and, you know, you, lawyers fighting lawyers about how to handle this and what report comes out first. Is it the police report? Is it the team Canada investigation? Is it the NHL investigation? Right. So the NHL, I think I I don't know this, but I would imagine they said, we're, we'll give you relief on the cap because obviously those players are not going to play. They were all on expiring deals, so they all knew something was possible. Yep. And they have to have their day in court. If if they have their day in court and they're exonerated, we'll deal with it. Um, if they aren't exonerated, they'll always be incarcerated, you know, because this is a serious, serious offense. Uh, but we cannot get in the way or we cannot usurp the judicial process. But to your point, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel, you know, you'd like to see your team go, hey, everybody bought Carter Hart's jersey. You know, we'll have a day where you can trade that in for a new jersey or get trade that in and get 50% off a Sean Couturier jersey or a Travis Konechny jersey, right? A and do something for those fans. Um, but I, I just think their hands are tied and the edict's been handed down from you know, from, from Broadway and the league office and, but, but it doesn't make it feel any better. And look, they say this trial could take two years. Every one of these players, you know, you're talking about world junior team for two, right in the prime of their career. Um, and, and I look, I don't know their level of guilt. I don't know any of the evidence or any of that stuff. Uh, you do know what, ha there's some weird things about it with like, you see the Duke lacrosse case, which turned out to be mm -hmm. nothing. There was nothing, there was no there there. And then you look of at this and, and the victim in this case did take a $3.9 million settlement. I mean, that, how does that play into all this? Does what happens? Oh, I, I'm I, not I, saying these guys are, are, yeah, are toast, yeah. right? I, I'm not saying that either. I, my whole argument is Mike McLeod was the devil's best face-off guy. He was the number one face-off guy in the effing league. To not acknowledge that they miss him, yeah. From a pure hockey standpoint, is naive. Yeah, and I mean, what I, I mean, look at what, the Flyers too right and, now. Like Carter Hart was their starting goaltender. Their biggest right. strength was they had two. 
Exactly. Now you have one point two. You have exactly and a bad backup. Right. Yeah. And that's and, and he he's the goalie. Like it's it's to me, it's it, they're very similar situations. And I'm the not consequential players. Right. And you, you yeah. just they just disappeared. And, and I saw and, Carter and, trending yesterday on my Twitter, and I'm like, why is he trending all of a sudden? It's because Cal Peterson, the Flyers' backup goaltender, let in seven goals, and everybody blamed Carter because he's not here because he got arrested, you know. So um, it, you're right. The, it, the whole thing, I I I don't know how it's going to play out, and um, it, it, the whole thing's ugly, and we'll see in time. But you know, time takes time. <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's an awful story. And I'd followed yeah. that story before I knew it was guys on my team. And you yep. know what it reminded me of? I've come up, covered domestic violence uh, stories when I covered baseball. And I never had a horse in the race. Yeah. You know That's what I mean? Point. I never, I, I, it, it, none of the losses, you know, I thought they were egregious and I thought they were disgusting, but it didn't affect my team. Yeah. And this in both situations. Um, the I, other I remember one, when it first came out, I was thinking, oh, well, there's no way he's involved. Like, he's such a, like, goody two-shoes. You know what I mean? Like, that and, right. and I got to know Carter very well. We were one of the closest I've been with any of the players. Obviously, the goaltending angle was a big part of that. And, like, you know, like, I, I knew him as a person. We texted a lot, not about hockey, about guitars and music and everything. And so, like, I, I'm conflicted in how I feel. Because like I feel like I know him to a degree, not just the guy behind the mask or the guy that's on the ice, but it, and it's yeah, it's very, it's it's very bizarre and surreal. Bizarre and, thing. It, it, it just to me, it's worth the discussion. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it's a good point. I I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to talk about this season. I don't want to date this podcast. Good luck to the Flyers. I hate them with every fiber of my being. I, I wish the NHL played more uh, interdivisional games. Um, I, I this 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 idea that you want to get Connor McDavid to showcase in every arena that doesn't sell me. Devil Devils Flyers, I could watch once a month. You know, and and it, 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 same thing with the Rangers and the Islanders and the the the, the Hurricanes now and you yeah, know they're scar tissue. Oh my God! It's it's. <laughs> it's in hockey, the hockey, the best thing about hockey is you hate your rivals as much as you love your team. Yeah. And that's yep. a great feeling. It's a it's a it's it's so much fun. The true uh, essence of sports to me is not loving winning. It's not. It's hating losing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I didn't as an athlete, I didn't love winning. It's fair. I hated losing though. <laughs> you know, fair. and when it's your rival, like the Flyers played the Penguins the other day. Sidney Crosby's played against the Flyers in 87, 87 regular season games. Uh, 87, obviously an important number for Crosby. Born in 87, yeah, yeah. 87, wears 87, contracts 87. 87, he's got 130 points. It's <laughs> like 55 goals. Crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's like, but and I want to hate that guy with every fiber of my being. Sure. I can't because oh, yeah. he's just so damn, he's 36. He's so damn good and and he carries himself extremely well. Like, I, I don't hate him, but no, I, I hate it. the team, you know? Sure. I wanted to ask you about Nolan Patrick, you know, because like I said, I thought about things that we could talk about that I things I could ask you that I can't ask everybody else. And if I say, what do you think the chances are the Flyers make the playoffs and how far are they going to go? First of all, if they win the Stanley Cup, you sound like a genius. And if they don't, you're, that's vanilla. That's vanilla radio. That's stock. Yeah, right. Nolan Patrick 
was the second overall pick. The Devils drafted first. They won the lottery that year, and they took Nico Heischer. Devils moved up from nine, correct? And Flyers moved up from 11. Okay. And, you know, winning the lottery, the two times the Devils have won the lottery, two out of three years, uh, Jack Hughes and and, and, and and, um, Nico Heischer are two stalwarts. I mean, these guys are on the verge of having iconic careers. Nolan Patrick was the guy when Nico Heischer was drafted. Devil fans that I saw on social media wanted Nolan Patrick. Yep. And he was the consensus all year. Part of it was he had a easier name. He spoke English better. It was it was it was a draw to him. Nico Heischer's a quiet guy. But tell surmise Nolan Patrick's run, knowing the expectations when he started. And how do you look at Nolan Patrick now that it's all over? I, I think it's just such a waste of so much talent. Um, he was the consensus number one overall pick that entire leading into that year. He was a monster uh, for his junior team. And, you know, you look at it, he had dealt with a core injury very late in that season and had a surgery prior to the draft. And I think that's what dropped him. Um, when the Devils announced Nico Heischer and the Flyers are getting Patrick, I was thrilled. I thought that was the better player. I thought he could be a more dominant NHL player. And I obviously knew more about Patrick because of where he played versus Nico Heischer. Um, but Patrick obviously had all the skill, the size, could skate, the hands, everything. But he had no belly at all, um, which was amazing to me. And he he didn't seem to be able to handle media well and expectations and he came from a family that had a lineage of nhl experience but he was as ill prepared for it as any young player top of the draft player i've ever seen Mm. and i mean i mean first of all the personality of an absolute napkin really (laughs) nothing nothing there like i tried to crack that nut so many times to connect with him and and by proxy have him connect with the fan base not about connecting with me about connecting with the fan base and i couldn't do it I remember one time I did an off-ice interview with him. He walks into the little room that I worked in, and I ask him the first two questions, and I mean, I think he's got his head on the blade of a stick. I think he's I I think he was asleep. And <laughs> I wrap up the interview, and I turn around, I look at the Flyers PR guy, Zach Hill. He goes, I'll talk to him. I go, don't bother. Like, I, I'm done even trying with this guy. Like, I'm not, I'm not like traditional media there to try and trap you or anything like that. Like, I, I'm there as a conduit to the fans. And, yeah, I, I just don't think he loved the game. I don't think he – I just you got to love the game. you got to love the practice. You, get, you see the guys that have success. Like, they're the first guy on the ice at practice, last guy off, because they just love being on the ice. They love being in any element of the game. I just don't think that he enjoyed it. Somewhere along the line, probably way too early in his life, he – it became a job for him. Mm. He became a meal ticket. And that zapped him. It just absolutely zapped me. I would be willing to bet that he was probably a guy that played all year round, which I think is always a mistake. Yeah. And there's a lot of great players. Like Gretzky still talks about it. Like when I was a kid, minute hockey season was over, my dad hid the hockey bag. I played baseball. I played soccer. And those other skills helped him in his – But because you have to let your body and your mind recover from the sport and you get burnout. And he just looked like a guy that was totally burned out to me. 
it's it's a it's just it's, it's a shame story. too with the head injuries yeah the, the well the head injuries is where i thought you were going to go and yeah. you know considering you covered lindros and you know concussions you know it's funny hockey concussions are talked about as badges of honor whereas football concussions are now red flags yeah you know Tua Tunga Vailoa was hit a bunch. I'm not belittling what he went through. Nolan Nolan Patrick probably was hit ten times more and harder. And, and harder. A collision right. hockey is, is harder than a collision in football. There was Bill Nye, the science guy or whatever, did a study on this. First of all, you can skate faster than you can run. You can get up to a faster speed skating and then set your body. Set your. You don't have to keep moving your legs, and you can have two players with that much inertia come in together. And then the other thing is, is in hockey, you can hit a guy into something that doesn't move called the boards. Right. <laughs> they don't have that in football. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the wear and tear is, I mean, you've, you've been down low at a, at a hockey game into with today's sure. speed and size. It's in, like the lower you go down, the more you see the speed and size and skill. The more you go up, the more desensitized you are to it. It looks like a strategic game of chess. Um, but make no mistake, I mean, those guys are animals just hearing your voice i wanted to have you back on this podcast and talk about uh your career your entirety of your career and make it more uh the jason martinez show i think we we went on a, a bunch of different things uh here i will tell uh my favorite story of doing pre and post for a hockey team uh the colorado avalanche uh, my second year there uh, made the playoffs. They played the Edmonton Oilers in the first round, and they had Game Seven at the old McNichols Arena. And <laughs> they didn't tell me this ahead of time, but they told me right before pregame that if the Avalanche won, I was going to in- interview the MVP, and it was going to be not only on the radio, but it was going to be piped through the arena. They didn't tell me, and I had worn loafers. And the the whole game, I am rooting for Edmonton because I don't want to go on the ice and slip and fall, make a fool out of myself in this celebration. I am hanging on to the boards for dear life, getting ready to go out. And Patrick Waugh, who was the goalie at the time, Keith Jones is on that team. Uh, Eric Lacroix was on that team. Joe Sackick, Peter Forsberg. It's a great group. And Marsh. Oh, Adam Deadmarsh. I loved Adam Deadmarsh. Um, Patrick Wass sees how scared I am and just does the little snow thing to make my pants all wet. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to interview Patrick Waugh for 90 seconds, but it's going to be piped through the the, the, the the arena. And what I don't realize is that with my other hand, I am grabbing on to his arm for dear life. Just so you don't duff, you don't duff. Don't I, so I don't slip because I had no traction whatsoever. Yeah, we do the interview. I have no idea what we said, but I do remember as I'm throwing it back to Mike Haynes in the booth, him leaning down, going, "Can you get off of my arm, please?" <laughs> you, you lost. You had the death grip on his arm. He could feel it through his chesty. That's great. So that's that's my favorite hockey story with his French Canadian accent. End this podcast with one of some something of yours.
from your days doing this with with the with with the Flyers, you are a hockey guy. You are made for this job. You are great at this job. I'm not kissing your ass. The idea during this whole experience, give me one of your favorite times when you said, "Oh my God, I love this effing job." Well, I mean, obviously the the Cup run in 2010 was incredible because it wasn't expected. The Flyers get in. You know, Bush stops the the Ole Jokin and shootout attempt against the Rangers. And wow, they're going to the playoffs in game 82. And then the run started in New Jersey, oddly enough. Yep. Flyers go that. through New Jersey. Ian LaPerriere takes that puck in the face. And yep. then Boston. And it's the comeback from down 3 0 to and down 3 nothing in game seven and winning that. I mean, going to Montreal <laughs> and doing games at the Bell Center uh, in a conference final was insane. And then obviously the cup final against Chicago and being in Chicago, Roy Halladay threw the perfect game when we were out there. I was watching yep. it with Don Cherry at the bottom of the building at right. in Chicago, which was a whole nother thing on Memorial Day weekend. Um, that. Uh, one of the things from that run in, in Montreal, it was game four. Flyers had home ice. They were actually the seventh seed. Montreal was an eighth seed. They beat Washington and behind Yarrow Halak just playing out of his mind. And it's game. So Flyers win the first two games in Philadelphia. Um, and then they go to Montreal, they lose game three, and that's the game where Montreal, somebody put sand down on the carpet. So the Flyers are all going off the ice at, you know, in the first period, the, the dressing room tunnels across from the bench. And I'm standing there with the backup goalie. Players keep coming off with issues with their skates, got a stone in the blade. And then we rub the carpet and you see a little bit of sand come up. So we got to get tarps. We got to put stuff over that because that's Montreal. Instead of turning the heat up, they put sand on the carpet. Um, <laughs> uh, but after game five, like that hallway goes down and then it tees and like the players locker rooms over on one side. And then the coach's office is slightly down the hall. And I'm set up in that hallway with my computer and my mic and everything on like a stool. And I'm standing there starting the postgame show and I'm on the air as they now are coming off. Players are going past me to my left and then coming behind me to go to his office is Peter Laviolette. And he jacks me in the ribs. So hard. <laughs> I almost puked. He like jams me. And I, I'm like, ah, oh. and I look up and he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Uh, so that, that was obviously a, a cool moment, but there was one where I was, I forget who I, I was interviewing some like movie person or something that was in the building. I was taping an interview in what's called NBA one, the locker room I work in. And I'm in there and it, it's a woman. It's, you know, some hot young actress and I'm taping this interview and in the middle of it, in the room, comes Jake Voracek. This is in the middle of a period, mind you. And he walks into the room, walks right past where I'm interviewing her, goes over by the shower stalls four feet from me, and just obliterates a stick. Just, motherfucker, and just goes nuts. Because he missed, like, an open net. Like, he comes and then drops the stick, what's left of it. There's carbon fiber everywhere. He goes, okay, I'm good. Walks right back out and goes back out on the ice. Matter of fact, scored uh, the tying goal in that game to force overtime, and Shane Gostisbehere won it. Uh, <laughs> so the things you see behind the scenes, oh, I like that. I don't talk about them a lot because sure. I think they are behind the scenes for a reason, but that was one of the funnier ones. The, the actress was like, what the hell just – does this happen all the time? I'm like, not all the time. And one more. Um, okay. Uh, one time I'm sitting there at my little table in that room, and I've got a, a brand new can of Copenhagen sitting on the, on the table. And in this room comes 
was it Jake? Well, I think it was Jake again. It was Jake. He comes in and he just freaking two by fours the table with his stick, hits the brand new can, it explodes everything. So whatever, we tape the interview, uh, we do the walk off, and then the next day I come in for the game and he comes up, he walks into the room about an hour before the game and goes here and just gives me a, a whole roll of chew. <laughs> <laughs> I said thank you. You didn't have to do that. He goes, that was my bad. Well, but he was one of the beauties to cover, like a great dude. Well, what you have done, and I and I say this to young young people all the time, the relationships are what make you a better broadcaster. Yeah. And the ability to connect with people, it's not for clicks. It's not for tweets. It's not for that. It's the relationships make you better at your job. And you're, you're, totally a, you're a master class at that. I, uh, Jason. I could not agree with you more on that real quick because like I tell like my job is not to break news or anything, do anything like that. Like I when I like when I met Jamie Drysdale for the first time when the Flyers acquired him not that long ago, about a month and a half ago, I went up and introduced myself to him and I said, told him what I do. And I said, look, when we tape an interview, if there's anything you're ever uncomfortable with, you don't like how you say, it, you just text me. I take it out. Yep. I, I did a whole interview. That's what with I say with Hank. this podcast. Anytime, yeah. anytime. And I think in the 440 episodes, maybe three times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Same, same thing with me. Like one time Sean Couture said something about one of his kids he wanted me to take out or Robert Haig, who was in Sweden at the time, not speaking a lot of English during the pandemic. We redid the entire interview, but that players know that I'm not here to hurt you. And the better connection through genuine conversation um, that we can have and camaraderie will create a better experience for them in the interview and a much better experience because I've already knocked down walls. And nobody wants to hear get pucks deep and work hard. Like yep. you can hear that anywhere. And I think the pandemic was a big thing to help that because we couldn't talk about hockey. And we had to have real conversations. I mean, I remember we're talking about Tiger King with James Van Riemsdyk, you know? That's what, that's what everybody was talking about. So right. we were talking about like Alex Lyon is a good friend of mine, Detroit goaltender now. And we would talk about music and guitar and everything. And to me, that's how you connect with your athletes. Everybody wants that connection jason i could do this with you all day uh come back let's uh, after the flyer season is over uh when whenever that is and the devil's fan in me hopes it's uh very very soon hopes it's um, april 16th <laughs> come back to the podcast because this was an absolute blast well the flyers and the devils play again on april 13th the second to last game for each team that could be a pretty important game that could be well done nhl scheduler <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Seth. Thanks for having me. That is Jason Martinez. What an honest, open conversation. We started off with the stadium series, but I got to be honest, that stuff about Carter Hart, Mike McLeod, and Cal Foote, and that whole 2018 Canadian junior hockey sex scandal is riveting conversation. He was so honest about that stuff. Uh, and his stories from his career, we have to have Jason back on. Thanks so much for the support of the podcast. Please, if you are listening, leave a review, especially on Apple. That's how they promote podcasts. And we will continue to post a new episode each and every Wednesday. We'll talk to you then. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go and then you'll know for me to stay here I got to be me you'll never be in doubt that's what it's all
Taking up my time